the liberated citizen. Thank you for listening, and I hope that I'm promoting thought about society, culture, values, and your role in all of these topics. Last episode, we talked about Dr. King's legacy and what he might have thought about DEI, or more affectionately known to me as DIE, as that was the original acronym that it went by. This newest episode will dive into the problems that military recruiting is encountering and why it is important to everyone. This episode is a natural extension of the conversation in the last episode, as well as the episode about the decline of football. So stay with me as we dive into a topic that not many Americans are aware of and may not even see a problem. As a military veteran, I've seen recruiting ebb and flow throughout my 22-year career. My career started in the mid-1990s during the Bill Clinton drawdown and then ended a few years ago during COVID. There have always been problems, but there seem to be more factors at work than ever before. So I'll start off with some of the, the bigger things that are talked about a lot, and then I'll dive into some things that aren't talked about as much. So first off, less Americans than ever are eligible due to medical and physical limitations. We've got higher rates of mental health issues that prevent service, obesity, and inability to pass entrance physical fitness standards, even though these have been lowered over the years. There's higher rates of diseases and afflictions that prevent enlistment. And then there's increased drug use and history that, frankly, it's hard to overlook, but it's prevalent in our society and it's something that we need to come to grips with and really start to making a determination of, is this going to be a problem in service or is this something that is in the past and is going to stay in the past? But moving on, there's problems with military recruiting. A tight labor market, it's one reason for the state of affairs, but the bigger problem is a shrinking pool that the recruiters are drawing from. And because of the, the rising rates of youth, the obesity and drug use, uh, the share of Americans aged 17 to 24 who are eligible to serve without a waiver has fallen to 23%. So discounting those already enrolled in college, that number is only 12%. And that comes from a Bloomberg article um, back in 2022. Less than one in four Americans of, of the younger generation is even eligible to enlist or serve in the military. That is a fundamental national security problem. It's something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, topic for another time. There's plenty of plenty of ways to get after the problem without involving government. And then so we move on to even if you are eligible, those that are eligible are prone to higher risks of injury. This stems from a variety of things. One is sedentary life. If you haven't been active in your youth with running or hiking or, you know, anything that's causing discomfort to your body and, and making your body toughen up because your body reacts while you're young. And if you expose it to things that are going to toughen it up, it will toughen up and it will prepare for a, a life in the military. The, a life in the military is physical. Uh, there's, there's just no getting around it. Yeah, I get it. Some of the positions that you're going to enlist in probably don't need to have very stringent standards of physical fitness you know, such as, you know, our cyber warriors or, you know, our space force and air force brethren who, you know, we, we affectionately call them the chair force. If you're in the army, if you're in the Marine Corps, if you're in a submarine or even some of the surface fleet, you know, the, the coast guard, there's plenty of reasons why you need to have a base level of physical fitness. First and foremost, combat is not in the purview of those on the front lines anymore. With a lot of the asymmetric advantages and asymmetric nature of the battlefield, everybody is under the threat of violence. That means that 
people need to be able to perform first aid. People need to be able to evacuate casualties. They need to be able to pull people out of danger. And you need a base level of physical fitness. Uh, oh, by the way, when you're returning fire and you're maneuvering under fire and you're moving from cover to cover, it is physically taxing. You need to be in shape to maintain your mental faculties, to be able to stay in a state of uh, readiness and not be exhausted. And and as for you, you're probably going to be exhausted anyway, but the better prepared you can be physically for it, the better off you're going to be in those situations. Getting back to the sedentary life, physical fitness is not really taught in school like it was. And, you know, that, that can be one of the approaches is a better physical fitness program in school. My kids are in school now. When I talk to them about recess and what they do, uh, one, it's, it's less time than I remember having as a kid. And two, there's a lot of sitting around and, and talking uh, versus I did my youth, which was we went out and played sports. It was basketball, soccer touch football which turned into tackle football but that's that's another uh, story for another day a book that really touches on this is comfort crisis by michael easter i highly recommend this book and it starts to explain how stress affects the body and and the benefits that your body and mind have from being pushed outside your comfort zone check it out one of the other problems that affects those who are eligible to enter military service less and less people are interested in entering the service. A military estimates that among those who are eligible, a mere 9% have a propensity to serve, the lowest since 2007, which was during the height of the Iraq war. How big is this problem with people who aren't eligible, who can't make it into the service because of uh, health issues or drug issues? And then, you know, because of people that don't want to enlist or join the service. What does this really mean? And I'm going to use some, some numbers here to kind of paint a picture. At the close of 2022, only the Marine Corps, which is the smallest Defense Department service except for the Space Force, the Marine Corps was the only one to meet both active duty and reserve recruiting goals. The Army, the largest of the services, was in the worst position falling short by 15,000 active duty troops. And that was after lowering its target by 9,000. So in reality, it was actually 24,000 active duty troops short. To give you kind of a, an idea, with roughly 15,000 active duty troops in a infantry division, that means that we are almost two divisions short. Think about that. There's 10 active duty divisions right now in the army today. And we just fell two divisions short of people. That is going to have a drastic effect on our combat capabilities and capacity in the near future. So the main conversations that are happening online in articles uh, are really about, you know, the, the topics we just covered, eligibility, drug use, medication, economy. And, you know, they even go so far as to say unfamiliarity of the military. And there's an interesting article written by Bull Ring, and it's the scientific approach to solving army retention and recruiting problems, self-determination theory and authentic leadership. In it, he talks about millennials refusal to join the military could be explained by their perception of the military in general. And to demonstrate, 57% of young people believe they would be psychologically and physically damaged if they joined the military. 
in addition to not wanting to join the military, 71% of young people aren't qualified. And, you know, th these are all the factors that people talk about today when they're talking about this problem. And we haven't really began to really touch into retention. And I'll, I'll save that for a future podcast. We're looking at recruiting and people coming into the military. My, my thesis is that the military will continue to experience shortfalls for the following reasons, and they're all related to culture. And we'll start off with a, with a statistic that roughly 40% of all military recruits come from the American South. And this demography of the South ties into the previous episode with football culture. One of the reasons why the military recruits well from the South is because of culture and values. They, they match up in a lot of different ways. We talked about in the football episode, personal responsibility, independence and perseverance, hard work and sacrifice in pursuit of higher purpose. There's teamwork, hierarchy and role, um, winning, and nothing substitutes in war for winning. The, this culture and values, I believe, is at the heart of the larger problem that these other things are, are symptoms and things that we're going to have to work around and deal with just because that's that's where our society is today but going back to the propensity for people to want to join they don't see the same things that the south sees the military also recruits heavily in poor uh, socioeconomic areas because it's it's a way out of that those hardships it's it's a way to advance yourself and along the way, if they didn't already have those values, they, they start to live those values. So what happens when you advertise and recruit with messages that run counter to the values and culture that have previously served you well? Well, as Bud Light found out, as Target found out, people turn off and they don't they don't want to participate. They don't want to get involved in some of these these culture battles. And when people start to see that an organization doesn't have their values, then they, they, they go away from it. And I think that's what we're seeing here with the South as the South, the numbers are starting to move away from in going into the military and i think they're seeing that divergence in their their cultural values they're starting to see a, a divergence of objectives um and we'll get into this a little bit later but you know right or wrong however you want to view trans um and lgbtq and all the other things i'm not i'm not advocating for or against but what i am saying is that there are plenty of people in the South who do have a stance and it runs counter to what the recruiting has been pushing as a message. And it's not going to resonate with those. And similar to Bud Light, when you market to and seem to support that ideology, you've got to take a look and see what is the cost benefit analysis in this. And as Bud Light found out, most of its customers are not of that ideology, nor do they want to support that ideology. And on top of that, they didn't really see an uptick. Uh, they, being Bud Light, didn't see an uptick in sales to that community. One, they don't have the numbers. Two, it doesn't seem like that is their particular brand. They, they don't seem to uh, run around drinking Bud Light. And so as, a, as an institution and an organization such as the, the, the military, 
you've got to look and see what, what are our culture? What is our values? Who is our customer? And are we risking alienating huge swaths of the people that typically come into our organization because we want to cater to potentially a few individuals, a handful of people. It's just not a smart tactic. It's not a smart strategy. And I, th I think they've turned away a, a lot of people in the South that may have thought about coming in. And I think that's a question moving forward is, do we want to continue the social experiments or do we want to continue with the culture and values that we've traditionally uh, espoused in the military? And one thing I would say is that the Marine Corps has done a great job of staying true to its values and not changing with the times. And they're the service that historically meets their recruiting goals. Granted, they are a much smaller force and they don't obviously don't have as many billets to fill, but they have cultivated their, their values and their image and it resonates with their target audience. I think that the military in whole, as a whole should take note of what the Marine Corps is doing and has done and take some notes and see how you can replicate those same things with your organization. So to sum up, increasingly the South and, and even some of the poor socioeconomics in the rest of the country, uh, that, that demographic that believes in these values isn't seeing it reflected in the military with, with the woke recruiting ads. Additionally, the, the relaxing of standards in order to cast the, night, the, the net a little wider, you know, whether that's real or perceived, it's prevalent when, when I talk to people that the relaxing of standards is having a detrimental effect. And then on top of that, we're gonna throw in incompetent military leadership that seems to be more and more political. So I'll address incompetent first. Everybody witnessed, and, and I, there's no there's no easy way for me to say this. I've, I've got a lot of emotion about it, but the Afghanistan withdrawal was an abortion in a back alley with a hanger. It was a travesty of military planning. It was a travesty of military leadership, and the effects of that withdrawal is going to reverberate probably for the next five to 10 years. President Biden said this was not gonna be a Saigon with military helicopters evacuating off rooftops, but that's exactly what this turned into. And, and I would argue it was even worse. And after the Vietnam conflict came to an end in 72, and then we had the uh, Saigon withdrawal evacuation in 1975, the, the military was in, was in rough straits for, for easily the next five years, arguably, 10 years. And I think we're going to see the similar effect from this Afghanistan withdrawal. On top of that, you've got the the tragedy that happened in Africa, where, where you had soldiers who were farther out than they should have been without adequate resources to provide support. And the military leadership's response was to investigate the captain. You know, we're, we're talking about an individual who's in their 20s and leading and doing what he can for, for God and country. And our leadership put them out there. And then when things went south, turned their back on them and refused to take responsibility. In my mind, it was, it was unbelievable watching that unfold and watching leadership uh, with shocked and surprised faces, like, oh, I, I don't know how this happened. I, uh, they, were just, they were out there and they were probably doing the wrong thing. And I'm paraphrasing, but that, that was the, the emotional vibe that these, these senior leaders are putting out there instead of taking responsibility and, and saying, no, this stops, this stops with me because I authorized them to be out there or I supported the chain of command in 
conducting these operations. And I didn't do my due diligence as, as a senior leader in the military to make sure that we're, we're properly resourcing and properly assessing the risk. And again, it, it comes down to increasing incompetence from our military leadership, looking at the, the long war or the global war on terror or however you want to label the, the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan. But how, how do we have decade plus wars with no real success to really pin your hat on. And yet I think one general was relieved and, uh, excuse me, two generals were relieved, one in Iraq and, and one in Afghanistan, but those were for conduct, not related to the prosecution of the war. And so you've got the younger generation looking at the military complex and, and saying, why, why, am I get, why would I join an organization where I'm gonna put my life at risk for senior leaders who don't seem to give a damn about the people on the ground, on the front lines who are actually putting their lives at risk. Why would I join an organization like that? I can tell you, I, I, I would have serious doubts about doing it. And this brings up an important point that, you know, there's different studies and different statistics out there. Most recent one I saw said that 80% of new recruits personally know someone in the military and more often than uh, not, that person is an immediate family member, i.e. they are uh, a son or daughter or a brother or sister of someone who is in the, the military service. And increasingly, and there's a uh, there's a 2021 poll that finds fewer military families would recommend service to others. You know, the family legacies aren't supporting these changes. They're looking at the military. They, they don't recognize the changes that are being made. They don't recognize the leadership that they knew. And so family members aren't supporting or encouraging the people close to them to join the service. Furthermore, the people leaving service that have experienced this bad leadership, they've got nothing good to say about about enlisting or uh, serving the country, which is you know even more important, I think, than even family members inc encouraging service because they're talking to their friends and they're they're talking to ten. 15 people that are close to them. And, you know, just like a rumor that uh, has some negative energy to it, those rumors, those get spread really quickly. And people will, people will turn off and, and talk about things that they don't even know about, but because they heard someone say that it was negative, they'll pass that on in a heartbeat. Whereas even if it was positive, they, they, they won't necessarily pass on the positive stories. And so related to this incompetence becomes, comes the politics of it all. General Milley, has probably led the charge in this in terms of being incompetent, but he finds himself at odds with Trump as president and it seems to be very vocal about things that he disagrees with. But then President Biden comes in to office and says we want an Afghanistan withdrawal and General Milley doesn't seem to have anything to say about it, doesn't have anything to say about it afterwards, doesn't have anything to really say about any of this stuff and even goes on record as defending wokeism even though he doesn't even really know what it is about and, and says so in testimony so not only do you have incompetence but now you have what seems to be incompetence combined with uh political advocacy or or politics at, at a bare minimum and then he had the debacle of afghanistan and does he resign no does the president fire him no uh, unbelievable that neither him nor the CENTCOM commander had the intestinal fortitude and backbone to resign if they thought that this was a bad idea and a bad way and their hands were tied 
when it came to planning the Afghanistan withdrawal and knowing that they were putting service members at risk, they should have resigned. They don't have to get vocal about it, but they resign. And then the next journal behind them sees the same thing. That guy, because at that point in time, you should be above politics. You should be above your own legacy because guess what? There is no fifth star. You're a four star. It's time, time to really advocate what you believe. And if you don't believe, it's time to hang it up. And if you lack the intestinal fortitude to resign in the face of that situation, then you don't, you don't belong anywhere near stars on your shoulder. And if the follow-on piece, if it's not that scenario, then it's the scenario of you thought it was a good idea. You thought it was well-planned. You thought this is a good way to do it. And you didn't have the decency, the honor, the ability to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I up. You don't have the you don't have the ability to reflect in the mirror and say I messed up. I need I need to take accountability and I need to resign because it was my mistake. It was my mistake to why those service members were put in harm's way and ultimately paid the sacrifice. There's a third option where if you disagree, but you're so hung up on yourself that you think, hey, there is nobody that can do a better job than me, even though I see this as a bad idea. It might as well be me that leads this bad idea because I'm that awesome. I can overcome all these constraints. I can overcome all these hindrances to our ability to conduct an orderly withdrawal. And if that's the case, you've you've got too much pride and you, sh you shouldn't be in a position of leadership. So I, I, I don't see how if General Milley or General McKenzie, the, 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 the CENTCOM commander at the time, I don't see how if they had any honor any sense of duty, any sense of accountability, why they didn't resign. Rant over, let's continue on this. But it, it, this paints a picture of why Why would we recommend as family members for our family to, to join the service? It, it doesn't look like the organization that we knew 20 years ago. So the last point and probably the most dangerous point for our society is that we're in a state where we celebrate the culture of the individual. We, I say we, because this is what the media is pushing. This is what you see in the school education systems. You see this celebration of being authentic, which is, you know, to be your authentic you is, is doing what you have passion for. It's doing what you think is fun. It places you at the center of your universe. It places you at the apex of your pyramid. You are the top. You are the end all be all. You should be doing what you want to do, uh, free of restriction, free of any constraints, free of anybody else's judgment or, or, or shaming of you for your actions and decisions. You're, you're free of accountability and responsibility as long as you are being authentic to yourself. And this manifests in a lot of dangerous ways. And it's it's no no shocker to me that these these narcissistic attitudes are are menacing more and more because there there's increasing secularism in society where we don't have things that put us in our place and give us the right perspective. When you believe in God, gods or any any kind of higher power you start to realize that this world, this universe, this place is bigger than you. It's bigger than the things that you want to do. And, you know, it's keeping in theme with the liberated citizen, freedom and liberty is extremely important. But 
there are restrictions on that. There are things that you cannot do. And on top of that, as a citizen, there's responsibilities that are placed upon you. There's duty that is placed upon you. And this is this is probably the biggest point of all is that we need to get back to a society that that teaches that you are part of society, that there is there are considerations that are more important than you, such as fighting the nation's wars and, and keeping this country free and protecting the American way of life. To take it a little bit further, when when you are at the center of the universe, why why would you take the most important thing and expose it to danger? What what would be worth your life? And if you are the main character in your story, nothing makes you want to put yourself at risk. Heck, you don't even want to have discomfort or be challenged with someone with a, a different idea of, of what your reality is. Um, you start getting into very subjective realms of, well, this is my perception, this is my reality, so this is my truth. And it's in a lack of recognition of, no, there is objective truth. And to me, this is probably the most important point that we've got to figure out about our younger generations is we've got to do a better job of giving them the perspective they need to lead a successful life and not just follow animalistic instincts of fun and do what feels good. And that's the, the highest ideal. It doesn't make for a coherent society to have that as its cornerstone. You know, societies were all about helping people overcome their animalistic instincts and urges in pursuit of something better, more noble. So in conclusion, I don't necessarily disagree with any of the fixes that people are talking about with, you know, trying to reach people, trying to recruit people. I don't necessarily disagree with anything in these articles talking about how to fix recruiting and retention with possibly the exception of mental health military service is already stressful and traumatic enough but to relax standards when it comes to allowing people to come on active duty with mental health problems to me it, it does not pass a common sense test why would you take people who are already at risk for mental health problems and then add to it it's, it's just gonna make it worse. It's not gonna help. As Mathis said, talk to me about, le I'm gonna paraphrase, talk to me about lethality and, and how these changes or any changes that we want to make. Show me first how it improves the lethality of our formations and winning the nation's wars. If we can't do that, I'm not coming to the table. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not going to even engage in consideration of the change if we can't even talk about that first. I think that most of these fixes have pretty good ideas for addressing symptoms, but I believe the underlying issue that is not going to get better is the individual's philosophy, sense of civic duty, and values. We as a society have to come to terms with what is being pushed today as values. Too much of it is centered on selfish, individualistic-oriented thought patterns, or as some would characterize it, navel-gazing. As liberated citizens, our freedom comes with a responsibility and cost. One of those costs is a healthy, motivated, well-resourced military that not only protects our American way of life, but also contributes to a global security environment that is friendly to others that want to follow America's example of values and liberalism, small l. Understanding this relationship between our freedoms and responsibilities and duties is extremely important to the idea of citizenship. And it's been lost over time. And I think only a minority of Americans who seem to be mostly older, 
seem to recognize this. So go beyond thanking a vet for their service and cultivate the values of patriotism, civic duty, and selfless sacrifice in these younger generations and those around you. If we don't, not only is the security of the nation at risk, but more importantly, the soul of the nation is at risk. I will leave you with this quote from Ronald Reagan. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Thank you for listening. If you like this content, please share with your family, friends, neighbors, or even strangers. These are the conversations that need to happen. So go out, get liberated, and liberate those around you to think for themselves. Break free, embrace life. Take care.